Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, we're talking to Kirsten Petri, an associate professor from the University of Waikato in New Zealand, uh, near one of the best left surfing breaks in the world. Uh, today, we are discussing the New Zealand HPE curriculum. Uh, we've highlighted some other curricula before, the Australian one with Laura Alfrey, uh, and the Norwegian one with Ove and Ontario, Canada with Dan. Um, I recently did one on the Finnish curriculum and I've always been interested in PE and how it works in other countries and context. Um, I've been to New Zealand twice now, so the curriculum to me is really interesting. Um, but let's start off with a little bit of an introduction first. Uh, Kirsten, uh, welcome to the podcast. And can you also give a brief background of uh, you first so the listeners kind of understand where you're coming from? Kia ora, Risto, and uh, thanks for having me. I feel like I'm in a pretty illustrious company uh, joining this curriculum. Uh, curriculum series that you've been running. Um, I think it's worth starting for uh, people who don't really know where New Zealand is um, to just give us a point on the map. We seem to be missing from a lot of maps internationally, so we always like to try and be clear about where we are. So New Zealand, um, or Aotearoa, which is the Māori name for it, is neighbouring Australia and the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. But we very much define ourselves as a separate country. We are not part of Australia, so please never get that confused. I guess it's like Australia, Canada, uh, US, yeah. Canada. Yeah, it's that sort yeah. of relationship. Um, so, yeah, we're right down on the bottom of the South Pacific. Um, where I come from is uh, I grew up in Christchurch and I taught secondary school HPE, health and PE, in uh, Christchurch in the South Island. But for the last 18 years, I've been lecturing uh, health and PE at the University of Waikato, which is in the North Island. Um, I'm, while I'm there, I've also been undertaking research, mainly focused on health and PE in primary schools and working with teachers around professional development, rethinking curriculum um, and practices in their classrooms. Okay. A couple of notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Just a couple of notes. Um, I will talk about Māori, um, and they are the Indigenous people of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, so there's things I will make reference to um, that we would frame as te ao Māori, like a Māori worldview or perspective at times in the podcast. So I'll try and be really clear um, about where they fit, um, but often we use Māori words without even thinking. So I'm sure, Risto, you'll pull me back on those things. Yeah. So um, can you kind of, kind of explain how it works? Uh, do generalist teachers teach PE at the elementary school? Is, is it a licensed PE teacher at the elementary school? How, how is it broken up? Yeah. So um, predominantly, uh, physical education is taught by the generalist teacher um, in the elementary primary school years, so for students aged 5 to 12. All New Zealand children start school at the age of five. We typically don't wait until the start of the school year, so everyone turns up at five. Mm -hmm. We have some specialists um, in primary schools or what you might call middle schools. Um, uh, The year year 10 and 12-year-olds, they're mainly private schools, so those that run outside of the state system um, and have a different funding stream. So they might have some specialists. Secondary schools are all specialists. Um, although as we've seen schools move to much more modern learning environments and integrated curriculum, there's a bit of a blur about who sits where because they're employing, employing more generalists um, who have backgrounds also in physical education because they can do better integrated curriculum. 
approaches. So are private schools fairly expensive? Are they religious oh, yeah. pri private schools or non-denominational, but just very expensive? Or how does that work? Yeah, I guess expenses are as relative, isn't it? Because what mm -hmm. we say is expensive and uh, someone in the state says is expensive might be different. Yeah. But typically, you might pay 20,000 New Zealand dollars, which I think is about 10,000 US, mm -hmm. a little bit more, for private schooling. Um, and some of them uh, come out of a uh, religious kind of basis. Um, yeah, predominantly that's how they run. We have dabbled in charter schools under a national government, but um, there's far less of them now. Mm -hmm. The other thing we have, which is uh, slightly different from other many other parts of the world, is we have, um, I hate the word, but mainstream schools, which are taught um, in English predominantly. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have a whole stream of education that is fully in te reo Māori. So you can go to early childhood, elementary and secondary school, um, where your predominant medium for learning is in Māori language. Okay. Um, yeah. So what do you think that sets the New Zealand curriculum apart from other countries? Um, so we have some similarities with um, places like Aussie and Scotland, but um, from about 1999, we started to see health and PE take a really um, different uh, turn in terms of kind of a paradigm shift, we'd nearly call it, with a clearer socio-ecological perspective mm -hmm. that underpinned everything. Um, and the principal writers at the time, Colton and Tasker, really drove um, the shifting agenda. Um, so there's a couple of things, there's a whole list of things that sit in there, so I'll try and break it down so it, it's easy to follow. To start with, we have two separate curriculums that are uh, uh, for schools. One is the New Zealand curriculum, which is predominantly what I'll talk about, and that's for those mainstream school settings. And then we have... Uh, Tanga o Aotearoa, which is a Māori medium curriculum. They have some similarities and parallels, but also uh, specifics in uh, the Te, te Ao Māori um, curriculum. That so is, those run side by side? Side so by side. Depending yep. on what school you attend? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so um, obviously the Tanga o Aotearoa is... Um, written in Māori, there's in, uh, parts of it that have got an English translation, so I know parts about that, but um, predominantly um, I would be more familiar with using the New Zealand curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, the New Zealand curriculum is a run-through curriculum, so by that I mean um, it, it goes from the day you start school uh, at year one through to year 13, they're our years of schooling. Um, so you don't have separate curriculum documents for Mm -hmm. um, each sector, yep. And uh, in that curriculum area, in that New Zealand curriculum, there's also eight, um, oh God, eight, yeah, learning areas, eight learning areas. Yeah. Just check that, yep, eight learning areas. Um, always get that one mixed up. So you've got health and PE as one of those learning areas. Um, and, and amongst that, there's also, you know, technology, um, English, um, oh, and I, I'm going to call it math, but I think it's actually called, yeah, it's called, let's call it maths. Um, social sciences, what would I be missing? Range of others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so health and peace sits as one of those learning areas. And um, it's... Um, so it's not considered a specialty side topic. It is part of what, I don't want to call it the core, but it is yeah. like a main aspect of, of schooling. Yeah, so um, 
all New Zealand students are um, encourage well, the curriculum encourages uh, students to have a broad and balanced curriculum, and broad and balanced would indicate that they will get something from each of those learning areas across uh, their school year and what that looks like. Um, so health and PE is one of those. What's also slightly different, and I use health and PE deliberately, um, is because health and PE is one learning area. Um, it reflects what was developed for the 1999 curriculum document, which was a standalone curriculum. So we went from standalone to part of a broader New Zealand curriculum. So in the New Zealand curriculum, uh, we it's also articulated the values, the key concepts and the principles um, with clear commitments to the Treaty of Waitangi, our founding document and cultural diversity and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. They are uh, specified and are therefore expected to run across all the learning areas. So health and PE isn't excluded from the broader curriculum. So as part of their broad and balanced curriculum, students not only are learning in health and PE and the uh, content and the um, learning focused in there, but also what key competencies we want to develop. Mm-hmm. What the principles underpinning that to create confident, connected, lifelong learners is kind of a curriculum phrase. So health and PE sits as one of those learning areas. Yeah. So, yep. Can you talk to me about the, um, you you talked about uh, how HPE is one learning area. Can you talk to me yep. about, uh, and I'm going to say this incorrectly, but Haora, is that, is haora. that right? Yep. Yeah. So, Haora is an interesting one because it is part of the health and PE curriculum. So Haora is, um, draws from Māori culture. Um, there's multiple models of Haora, mm-hmm. but in the health and PE aspect of the curriculum, we draw from Mason Jury's Whare Tapawha model. So I'm going to go back a step, sorry, Risto. Yeah. So um, lots of the world are talking about wellbeing and well-being and haora aren't necessarily synonymous, but some same underlying principle of a holistic approach to well-being. So that is part of the whole New Zealand curriculum, but then really clearly specified in health and PE as what we would call an underlying concept. Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the things I would say that, um, and yeah, people might pull me up on this, but I would say one of the things that makes the uh, health and PE learning area and health and PE in New Zealand different from anywhere else as a curriculum is that it's really clearly underpinned by um, a strong philosophical base and that's articulated in the document. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I can share the document and I think I've shared it with you, but it can go up and people can look it up anyway. And what's called our essence statement, we articulate or it's articulated um, the four underlying concepts of which Haora is one of them. The others, and I can be to explain those, are a socio-ecological perspective, health promotion and attitudes and value. And they kind of are there um, to yeah, under, underpin the mm-hmm. whole philosophy of the curriculum. We don't necessarily teach those things, although we might teach aspects of them, but that grounds what the learning is about, what the focus is, and actually that's where that paradigm shift comes in. We've moved from a really biomedical kind of um, focus or, you know, purely on the physical, to a much uh, broader socio-ecological, socio-critical kind of perspective on health and physical education as a learning area. And I think that distinguishes us from lots of curriculums internationally. Yeah, and I I would think that it differentiates you at least from the variety of curriculum that's offered in the U.S., um, which does take a a lot of uh, biomedical approach. And I will ask 
other questions about this, about fitness okay. testing and assessment okay. down the line. We'll come to that. Yeah. Um, but so, so to go back to whole order, yeah. So, so to go back to whole order, you know, that has been really picked up by teachers and is, um, I think, broadly understood both by the health and peer community, but teachers across the board. And so for primary teachers who are grappling with the multiple learning areas, holder is something that most teachers have got a hold of and grasped. So Whare Tapafa is framed, and it's the four-sided house, that's what Whare Tapafa means. And so to achieve the sense of holder or to maintain and enhance your holder, you need to keep all sides of your whare, your house, nice and strong. So you need to think about the physical the social, the mental, emotional, and the spiritual. And all four of those walls need to be strong or your house collapses. And when I say spiritual, to be really clear, it's not spirituality in terms of necessary tied to a religion, but very much more linked to a sense of belonging, um, who you are, uh, we call it your whakapapa, your um, ancestors, and you know the values that come with um, your history and your background. So it's not necessarily a religious spirituality but a sense of self and where you fit in the world and belonging. So those four um, concepts uh, need to be embedded across curriculum and teaching. You know, and if I'd have a, one critique around um, health and PE, and, and one of the things we've challenged lots of teachers on is how often they might teach about haora and about you know, um, mental health and uh, the social, and then they go out and play dodgeball, which undermines all those other aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, so really trying to go, this is more than just something you teach. It actually has to be embedded in how you think and how you choose your practices. Right. So that's where things like how water have come in. Um, so we have those underlying concepts which kind of ground the curriculum. Um, and then we have three separate subjects that are delivered in line with that and God, now I listen and I go, this sounds confusing, um, but it is confusing. So we have health, we have physical education and aspects of home economics, and they all have that same shared philosophy, those underlying concepts. They have shared achievement objectives, um, which I'll come back to, but they don't have any defined context. So you can you can use whatever context best meet your local needs, best reflect the students in front of you. So there's no specified context. Um, there's not topic signal, there's not themes. You know, you don't have to do particular clusters of different sports, like winter sports or ball games okay. um, and physical education. You can use whatever context best reflect the needs of your uh, school and community. So there's the three separate subjects, but with these shared objectives. Mm-hmm. And so there's no if there's not nothing mandated by the country like you have to teach swimming or you have to teach you know this specific cultural game or dance or anything like that. So you pick, pick a really good point. The only things that are mandated, um, mm-hmm. and I say mandated, but you know there's always questions of who checks this. Yeah. Um, 
you are required as expected, so it's noted in the curriculum expected that um, all schools consult their communities around um, health and sexuality education programs. Mm -hmm. That's one expectation. There's another that all students are expected to learn basic aquatic skills by the end of year six. So that's the end of their um, elementary years. And by basic aquatic skills, skills, we're not talking stroke technique, but we're talking survival in the water. Yeah. Um, as a strategy to reduce drowning stats. Um, they need some practical cooking skills and um, we just need to make sure our outdoor education programs follow all health and safety legal requirements. They are the only mandated things that you have to address. Yeah, and I noticed that uh, that expectation that schools consult with communities when they're developing their health and sex ed programs. Do you have an example of what that looks like because it looked like it's also at the primary and the secondary level you have sexuality education. So yeah. who are they connecting? Is it nonprofits that they're talking to? Is it parents or what counts yep. as community? So um, I think the first point there, and I think you cleared it up nicely, um, we don't talk about sex ed. We very much are talking about sexuality ed in that broader sense about relationship skills, about decision-making, about sexual orientations, the whole lot. Sex ed for us is just the biological reproductive bit, and um, we want to keep it broader. And so that's part of what consultation looks like. So as a uh, head of department um, leading health and PE in a, a so secondary school or in a primary school, I would consult with my parent community as the, as the primary group that you need to consult with. Um, that would involve um, a leader communicating out to parents and caregivers, uh, whānau, broader extended family, um, what the focus is going to be. Um, children, uh, Parents have the right to withdraw their child, but they have to communicate that to the principal. Mm-hmm. Um, because also in a primary school, a good health and sexual education program might happen every other day because matters arise. Um, and it needs to be addressed. So an example I would use is, you know, I might be in a year two class and I spent some time in a year two class last time I was on sabbatical and there's a whole lot of stuff going on around kids and relationships. And I use that term really loosely, but, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend sort of stuff going on with what are six, seven-year-olds. So you don't just leave that until the sexuality educator comes in. Because actually, as the generalist teacher, you're responsible for delivering sexuality in any way. So you would could frame some learning around, you know, what relationships are, what does that mean? And so, you, you know, you might have a really broad sexuality program um, that starts from day one. And it's about getting both the words correct, but kids understanding what uh, good, effective relationships are about uh, negotiating um, peer pressure in relation to those things. You don't leave that till they're 13. Right. Um, so, yeah, that consultation looks like communicating to parents what your um, health and sexuality ed program are going to look like. I see that as a good opportunity to advocate to parents about um, how broad the sexuality education program is and reassure them you're not going to just teach their children how to use condoms and how to have sex because we wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um and then, yeah, parents have a right to respond to that. Yeah. And I know we're kind of b- bouncing around here, but you um, you brought up the um, four broad goals. Can you go over uh, over those for HP? Yeah. So um, we have these four broad goals, which then translate into um, different achievement objectives across the eight levels of the curriculum. Um, so one, the, uh, I call it strand A, um, 
old school talk, but um, one is around personal health and physical development. And that's focused very much on knowledge, skills, attitudes, understandings, all those things in order to maintain and enhance their own well-being, um, personal well-being in the broader sense and their physical development. So that's the first one. And in there, um, we would see things like um, there would be some aspects that are related to um, uh, regular physical activity. Uh, so there's one achievement objectives related to that. But other things are uh, things like, you know, identify personal qualities that contribute to your sense of self-worth. You know, so very much stuff around personal identity, safety and risk management sits right. in there. Um, so that was what we would call during day personal health and physical development. Uh, one that lots of people get caught in and probably reflects more curriculums internationally or aspects of it do is movement concepts and motor skills. And this is very much photo focused around motor skill development, um, uh, understandings of movement po and positive attitudes to physical activity. So it's the sort of achievement objectives that might sit in there. Um, you know, some of my favourites are, well, what happens is that people do one achievement objective and that's what we call um, B1. For those who understand the curriculum understand what that means. It's focused purely on movement skills. So lots of people just get captured on that. Yeah. And I could run a 1960s program and cover that aspect of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. But um, this also, movement concepts and motor skills also cover stuff around positive attitudes, science and technology, um, challenges and social and cultural factors. Um, so example, which achievement objectives that sit in there are things like participate in and demonstrate and understanding how social and cultural practices are expressed through movement. Again, there's no context specified. You don't have to do that in relation to, you know, any particular culture. Um, and it might be pop culture or it might be, you know, um, it might be Māori culture or other Indigenous groups expressing movement. But it's not specified for you because ideally, if we have well-trained teachers, they will be able to identify context that match their students. Yeah, and I think, at that's, the same, I think at, that's key. Yeah, at the same time, there's you know um, one of my favourites. I always um, liked with uh, year ten, so you know fourteen-year-olds is participate in cooperative and competitive activities and describe how cooperation and competition can affect people's behaviours and the quality of the experience. Mm. You can spend weeks unpacking yeah. that with students using really, you know, a real range of contexts from small games to sporting contexts. You can look at it in terms of um, national sporting events and how people behave differently. There's a whole richness in there that allows us to look at um, sport more broadly. And I think those sort of achievement objectives also uh, better reflect uh, some of the work of the Daryl Seed and Tops and stuff of the world where we're talking about the literate participant. We're not just talking about someone who can um, move well, but actually understand sport, physical activity, movement in the broadest sense. Right. Yeah. So that's the first two. Um, uh, uh, central one is relationships with other people, develop understanding skills, attitudes to enhance their interactions and relationships with others. Um, and at time, initially, a lot of people thought, oh, that's just the domain of health education, but um, equally important in a physical education setting, right? How, how we relate to others, how we interact with others in games and play and leisure, all those sort of things become um, central to our understandings of the world and our participation in the world. Um, so that includes development of skills, understanding of relationships, but also stuff around identity, sensitivity and respect. You know, that whole notion of um, who, who's discriminated against, um, how can we re act responsibly to support other people. So relationships with other people really centre around those sort of things.
And the last one, which I'm not sure people have dealt with overly well. Some teachers do a great job of it, but it's probably the um, area of the curriculum that lots of people have struggled with, and that is healthy communities and environments. And this is much more reflective of that socio-ecological kind of perspective. Um, it's that notion of contributing to healthy communities and environments, taking responsibility and and critical action. So um, we can come back to the critical aspect um, as we roll through. But, um, you know, this is about, uh, taking collective action to care for or support the safety of others in the school community. And I can do that with a year one group. Mm-hmm. You know, that you know, it's not just about them looking after themselves, it's about them understanding how how they contribute to a better environment for everybody. You know, it's about understanding how the uh, media and our influences how how people's well being is impacted on. You know, so it's really trying to get even our young kids to think critically about the world they live in and then to be able to act as um, social justice advocates and um, I'm going to say responsible citizens, but I mean that with a responsible for themselves and others yeah. um, and not an individualistic kind of perspective. Yeah, and you can definitely see how the socio-ecological model is embedded in there. You can also, you know, I, I just thought when I when I read the last part of this about um, transferring outside of being a responsible citizen, I'm like hearing Don Helson and teaching personal yeah. social responsibility and yeah. having the transfer to outside. But it's interesting that you've said that the healthy communities environments is one of the tougher ones that the teachers deal with and some of them do it well. I think it's similar well, to the one, um, the Australian curriculum that has critical inquiry written into the curriculum yeah. But it's not necessarily always enacted, and teachers may underestimate their students' abilities to be able to do that. But it's a written document, so therefore it's policy, but it might not be enacted in the way that yeah. the policy writers and the people who are writing the curriculum wanted it to come out. And it's kind of a fluid working pro- uh, process. Yeah, and I guess that's where we do see slippage. And mm-hmm. um, I think particularly, um, you know, and I think of some of, a whole lot of work that the Lizette Burroughs, Michael Gard, uh, Caroline Plume, um, Darren Power, all of that have done around bodies and health and um, young people's understanding of that. And, you know, some of that stuff's really tricky for teachers to grapple with themselves, especially the physical education teacher who has um, been drawn on because they were, uh, physically able, motor elite. Mm-hmm. Um, they um, see their body as uh, a machine. You know that whole um, there's some body body mind dualism that goes on there, mm-hmm. and therefore struggle to um, shift philosophically, and therefore and their practices to embed some of that stuff and ask the critical questions and push that agenda because it exposes ourselves. So I think you know. Um, Roger Tilling once said, you know, what's the realistic contribution we can kind of seek in one of his papers back in about 2000? And I guess that's that's where some things get lost, even though it's there on paper, what becomes the reality. But we also, on the flip side, I see some teachers doing some great work on that, really challenging students to think beyond themselves, to take action to support others, to um, really interrogate how the media is shaping the ways they behave and the practices they um, are engaging in so there's some really good work being done and we know that change takes time right so some of it's going to be generational right and so I'm, I'm going to kind of uh, wrap this section up I know the yep. seven key areas <laughs> that um, you had for learning 
mental health, sexuality education, food and nutrition, body care and physical safety, physical activity and sports studies, and then outdoor education. What I found interesting in that is that out of all of those seven sport studies about, you talked about the broader sense of sport, is only one small aspect, one seventh of that. Um, Whereas I think if you would go into other countries, I think Norway has tried this to limit this and in the US there's a ton of this is it's very sports driven it's very team sports oriented and then we get to adulthood and no longer play team sports as much yeah yeah so I think I think both physical activity and sports studies are interesting ones amongst those caregiver learning so you know, physical activity very much draws on um, Arnold's work around learning in through and about movement. Mm-hmm. So it's really extending what we understand physical activity about and therefore what we should be expecting to deliver within that. And sports studies is the same. It goes back to that whole um, the literate participant, the person who understands rules and um, being a spectator and a fan and being a participant in the broader sense of sport. So um, I think that even exaggerates your point more that um, while some countries are sport focused and you do a whole series of sports much more in line with a multi activity program and no way is that advocated in this curriculum mm, interesting and then so it it also therefore changes what a year's program looks like right or it can it has the potential to change it whether it does or not is questionable so how have teachers and students experienced uh the curriculum is it is it all sunshine and rainbows or well, those who know me know that I'm a little bit cynical at times, so I would apologise, but it's the reality. And um, in my most cynical moments, I'm not sure a huge amount has changed. Um, and most of my research is in primary elementary schools, and um, I still see instances of a multi-activity approach to PE going on there, where there's a focus on fitness, um, a p- programs planned around into school events or school events, so the cross-country has to happen, the athletics have to has to happen, mm-hmm. swimming sports has to happen. So recently running a professional learning day in a uh, primary school and, you know, the uh, principal said, oh, I didn't realise I had a, a cross-country mafia. And mm. he had a group of teachers who were adamant they needed to have the cross-country and PE need to be focused around training kids for cross-country. And, yeah. you know, if you're trained for cross-country, you're going to be more resilient. So we're still seeing instances of that um, for primary teachers and um you know, I know lots of them and I work with lots of them. They are asked to deliver across all the learning areas of the curriculum. Um, so there's a, you know, the, the the lack of change, I think, at times is a pragmatic response to the pressures they're under to deliver everything. Right. Um, because they are te- and, they're, and they're not very specifically trained in teaching health and physical education no. as a specialist would be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they've had limited opportunity. I'm gonna. I would challenge the word specialist because I think most of our physical education teachers are um, specialists in, or many specialists are specialists in sport, and depending on where they come from, or Mm -hmm. um, uh, biomechanics and sports science, but not necessarily specialists as uh, in terms of pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And I'd argue our primary teachers are actually pedagogy specialists, just not health and PE content specialists. So. Uh, yeah, that's Argument team specialist. I think that I think that's a great point, <laughs> and I think that there are a ton of people that go into physical education from that sport-centered piece that maybe just yeah. get through a program and think about the pedagogy a little bit less. Versus, I think yeah. you're right. You know, they, you know, your generalist teachers who are teaching primary primary 
period, yeah. you know, they have a ton of pedagogy experience. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. So I don't generally like the terms, but they're out there. So I have to use them. Right. Um, anyhow, so our specialists on the other hand, uh, we, we see it really mixed. Um, I, I don't think junior programs have significantly changed. We are seeing some a fantastic change in particular schools where they're integrating curriculum. They are um, really drawing from across the curriculum to challenge practices um, and using units to explore things like behaviours and discrimination and all those sorts of things. But also once we get into senior secondary or, um, or senior high school, you'd talk about assessment team seems to draw, um, drive much more of practice as opposed to curriculum so you know that's a point our assessment program and our curriculum don't always line up mm-hmm. so we, and we know that te- yeah, teachers teach the te- teachers teach the test right um at times um so in a more cynical sense i i i have seen some great practices adopted and some shifts made um, by some fantastic teachers but there's still those who want to just deliver what they've always delivered and yeah. we know that that's part of the slippage of curriculum absolutely so we talked about developments 1999, 2007. Um, you know, I, I know right now I'm recording this and we're in the middle of a pandemic, but um, <laughs> how does it, uh, how has it developed over the time? And are you, are you expecting a new kind of revision thinking 2007 was the last one? Uh, yeah. So the, the government has signaled a need for a review and updated curriculum. Um, but as you said, we're in the middle of a pandemic. In New Zealand currently, we are in lockdown. So mm-hmm. no students are in schools, uh, no teachers are at school currently. Um, government's functioning via Zoom meetings like the rest of the world. So um, we'll have to see how that progress is. There has been some work undertaken on refining what we call the essence statement. So the two pages that outline the curriculum in the, in the document. And there's been a lot of debate over health and PE and the National Certificate of Educational Achievement, our assessment program for senior secondary, um, because they're looking to collapse those. Um, So those things are up for review. Um, But when that will happen, I don't know. Um, And any developments over the last kind of 20 years or something, you know, that you've um, seen trends or something? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, it's a a frustration for me, actually. I, I... firmly believe we have a curriculum that sets a tone for um, some really innovative kind of practice. But um, we are seeing um, things like teaching games for understanding, sporty, fundamental movement skills and cooperative learning come in. And at times that becomes a new program. So I've argued um, in other places about that notion that we've replaced a multi-activity approach with a teaching games for understanding approach. So we don't follow the curriculum. We just go, right, we're going to do a block on invasion games. We're going to do a block on need and war games. We're going to do a block on fielding games. And so we're still not following the curriculum. So I'm a firm believer in using teaching games for understanding and curriculum models, but curriculum models aren't the curriculum. And so how, you know, and it comes back to teacher education, both in-service and pre-service, how those models are used, um, I don't think necessarily aligns with how they were intended to be used or um, I don't know if the writers of the models like sport education saw that as a whole curriculum. It's a model, but where it fits within the broader curriculum um, has been shaped. I think in senior secondary, we have seen a clearer commitment to critical pedagogies. Um, It's done really well by some, and you see some 
you know, I see them coming into our initial teacher education programs and into our, um, uh, we run a Bachelor of Health, Sport, Human Performance, and some really good critical thinking coming through from the students out, out of their uh, secondary program. But others still tend to focus on the sports science aspects um, and less on the socio-cultural, socio-critical aspects. So mm. we've seen change and, um, you know, one of the things at the moment, there's been debate and lots of debate around where physical literacy sits because that's being pushed by Sport New Zealand at the moment. Well, physical literacy is not the curriculum. Our curriculum, if done well, would create physically literate students. But it's what goes before what. And we just confuse, I would argue, we confuse um, practitioners and the people providing them with professional support when we're just throwing a whole lot of balls up in the air for them to try and juggle and see which one I should hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you do have a national curriculum, right? So if I'm in Auckland or yeah. Christchurch, I'm, I'm learning the same thing. Is that right? Yeah. So because we don't have specified contents, um, you know, so you don't have to do um, cross country. You don't have to do, you know, uh, rugby or um, baseball or whatever it is. Um, the curriculum stays the same, but the context should shift. But sadly, what we we're not seeing is that locally developed, contextually relevant um, program. We still see the same thing fits everywhere. So, you know, I know that in most primary schools, term two. Um, cross-country would be the feature of their program. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter where they are. And that doesn't necessarily reflect the needs of those the, the groups or the communities. So the national curriculum actually um, states that it is just a framework to give common direction to schools, regardless of type, size, location. But the notion is that schools have the scope and flexibility and the authority to design and shape the curriculum so that teaching and learning is meaningful to their particular communities of students. So schools are then charged with designing that curriculum, right, and allowing teachers the scope to make interpretations in response to the needs and interests of the individual groups of students, uh, individuals and groups of students in their class and, and their community needs. But that takes time. And, right. you know, change takes time and rethinking curriculum takes time. And I'm not sure we ever give teachers the time to actually do that. Now, and do, you think we that, say, do you think that there are people in those positions at those schools that have the proper training to write that curriculum? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, at secondary schools, for sure. There's no reason they should be continuing to do stuff that, um, you know, was happening 20 years ago. Um, although the curriculum came out over 20 years ago and we still haven't seen that change, right? right. Um, God, that's, that is really depressing to think about. Um, but they have the training, but you know, we also we live in a world and an economy where jobs are short. So you might go on with innovation and thoughts about doing it differently. But in order to keep your job, you conform. You know, and how long do you conform for and who pushes back? So it takes um, great teachers to advocate for something different to see that change. Yeah. And we, we, I'm saying we as the academic community, those in um, initial teacher ed, those in, um, in service professional development, you know, that's part of our job is to support them to advocate, to um, be able to take a stance, to continue to think critically and do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, primary schools, a whole lot harder yeah, because they are sure. grappling with multiple things. Yeah. So, so I'll, a- I'll ask you the, the last question here. Um, do you have any specific guidance on assessment? For instance, yep. the question that I ask everybody really is, do you mandate assessment on 
fitness, which is obviously controversial. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have great joy in saying there's no uh, no specified requirement to um, measure fitness. Um, or anything like that. And I remember being at um, ASEP in uh, New York last year and someone talking about using pedometers on children to help with the measurement and my eyes just rolled and I probably wasn't that polite. But mm-hmm. it is that sense that we just wouldn't do those things. It doesn't align with our curriculum in any way. So there is no um, no requirement to do that. Uh, there has been discussions uh, through Sport New Zealand about a physical literacy tool, but at this point um, it's not progressing and, you know, I think there's enough of us who are a bit anxious about where that might lead because I think that would uh, has the potential, if not done really well, to uh, take us away from the broader intent of the curriculum. And do you think that, um, that that kind of dangerous path that you talk about, do you think that that's um, putting it more towards the biomedical side again after you've taken this step into a socio-ecological framework yeah because well yeah and i I'm, mean you look I'm at talking, like canada right they have really yeah. bought into physical literacy i think yeah. the u.s yeah. is like one foot in one foot out on a lot yeah. of different policy but yeah. um why do you think that that's a dangerous path well i think our curriculum is broad it's holistic it takes into account the socio uh critical socio-cultural kind of aspects and I think the danger of going down physical literacy is we would focus back on just the physical aspects and while physical literacy talks about cognitive and social and mental emotional I think there's a real danger that we when we start to measure things that determines the curriculum and how do you measure some of that social cognitive all those things Um, and we we've never uh, you know really had good measures for those that allow for um, flexible teaching for um, context-driven and student needs-based teaching and so we would get, get locked into assessment like lots of national standards do and around the world that narrow the focus of curriculum as opposed to leaving it broad and open to interpretation to best meet the needs of kids um, in different communities so yeah I, I just think it is a dangerous path for us and again you know if we start talking about physical education physical literacy we put sport we put play we all those things in the mix. How does a teacher understand that? I'm a primary school teacher grappling with the world um, and what I have to teach. And now I've got another term and something to make sense of. And so how those two things slip, I think is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And overall, I think one thing that I just noticed is that we've already been talking about this for 40 minutes. And I I was very... I feel like there's so much with this New Zealand curriculum because it's it's very progressive when you compare it to other places. There are there are places that have similar leaning, but I think very much more holistic education. Even though we're speaking about HPE as a as a subject topic, so I mean I just think that there's so much more that we could talk about. But maybe we'll bring you on, on another day. I think I remember presenting stuff around the 99 curriculum in Ireland and Mary O'Sullivan having a crack at me about being cynical about the lack of progress we'd made with it mm-hmm. because, you know, it is an innovative curriculum. It really does push the boundaries of things. But I guess we just now have high expectations about what health and PE could look like. And, you know, we think it, what we've got better meets the needs of most kids. Um, I think there's still some cultural misappropriation that's gone on, a range of things that likes Katie Fitzpatrick have talked about but we, we've made moves to do something really differently and 
I just would hate to see a slip back. So, yeah, 40 minutes is never enough. My initial teacher education students say the same, but yeah. you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, and I think you bringing up Katie Fitzpatrick, I remember reading uh, parts of her book about... Um, I think it, I think his name is Dan, the teacher that is yep. the highlight, right? Yeah. And yep. so listening to what he does in PE, I'm sitting there in New York going, wow, that's to me, that's like, that's really brave. And also yeah. not what we would be teaching future educators in all programs. Some programs yep. in the U.S. do take that approach a lot more, but I think it's across the... 500 or something teacher education programs yeah. we have in the in the u.s i think it's uh, few and far between yeah and i have to acknowledge like um my colleagues in tertiary settings um you know there's been some great papers written there's some great work done to help move our initial teacher education students on so that they become good beginning teachers it's just disappointing when they get into schools and then they're sucked back in mm-hmm. to traditional practice because that's what's working so you know we've still got a way to go but um i think we're all trying to fight the good fight i think maybe best um uh signaled by those people who are on twitter uh our, our subject association pens has uh just renegotiated renegotiated or negotiated or bullied whichever way you want to take mm-hmm. it the ministry of education to uh make some changes to what they were putting up online for teaching while we're in lockdown because i'd put up a fitness program and um Pens has been really advocating for putting education back into PE, and if you follow that Twitter feed, you'll see that the, the curriculum we have has given us a great platform to advocate for it not just being about fitness classes or sport, and um, it came to fruition this week um, with some great advocacy around that, so yeah, yeah, kind of really proud of what we're trying to do. Yeah, and, and I love that you brought that in because they called you out to make sure that you brought that in. You got it in still, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. don't worry. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah. Can you let people know where they can find more information or um, any of your social media or anything? Uh, yeah, I'm not good on social media, but I'm doing my best. Uh, if they follow uh, PENS, P-E-N-Z, there's always some great posts up there about what the Physical Education New Zealand community are doing. Um, and that gives lots of good ideas. You know, our curriculum's available online and while it's a bit dense to read at times, you know, can feel free to get in touch and we can send them in the right direction okay perfect and we'll link to that on the show notes and uh thanks everybody for listening have a good day i hope everyone is staying home staying safe and uh, looking after each other absolutely thanks cool bye